welcome to the Destination Begin podcast. I'm your host, Kristen Smith. I've lost over 250 pounds. I've started my life over multiple times and managed to find humor, lessons, and joy in the process. And now I'm here sharing those stories with you. Thanks for joining me. Hi, hi. Welcome to the episode. This is a full-length episode of the podcast. Super happy that you all are loving my little baby episodes that I've been publishing every day. Um, If you like those, I'd love to hear from you. I have been faithful in getting these out every single day, although I did do a couple of repeats because some of my favorite ones um, I published early on, and I know that there are new listeners, so Once in a while, I may drop some um, replays of some of these little ones. But if there's a topic you want me to talk about, I love to hear from you. So um, it's a wonderful, beautiful day in Miami. It's hot and sunny, and it's February. And that one fact alone makes it really hard for me to have a bad day, like ever. (laughs) Um, They turned the air conditioning off in my entire condo building for three days to clean the cooling towers. Now, they said we do this every year. To which I said, BS, you do not do this every year. This is my third winter here. You've never done this. Stop lying to us. We we live here. We know, okay? We would know if you're lying. Why did you mass lie to the entire building? I don't understand this, but they mass lied and said, we our annual cooling tower cleaning is taking place once again. And once again, you're going to have to rent an air conditioning unit for your apartment. Um, once again, we contracted with this company for you to get a good deal of $1,100 to have a unit in your home to keep your place cool. So, you know, no big deal. We do this every year. Nothing to see here. Garbage. BS. But anyway, they did um, turn everything off yesterday and... I I did not turn mine off. So we got this we got these emails every day saying make sure you turn your air conditioner off by 8:30 a.m. on Wednesday and then um you know then you're going to basically burn up in hell. And I what we did is um the day before I cranked the air conditioning got it to be like 65 degrees in here. And by the way, I have an 800 square foot condo. It's tiny. So got it really cold, and then I thought, all right, we'll just keep it shut really nice and tight, but keep the fan, circulating fan on, and I'll be able to keep it cool for at least the first day or so. But yesterday came along, and I didn't do anything. I didn't turn it off. I just let everything roll. Well, it's still working. It's not 65 in here anymore. It's more like 70, 72, which is very comfortable. So I don't really know why mine's working. I'm not telling anyone, and if the whole system burns up and blows up, because I left mine on, well, you know, they're never going to know. It's me, right? I don't know. I I don't even understand what they're doing, and I don't understand how it affects the little air conditioner that's in my little closet right here. But, you know, uh, why would I know that? I'm just a, I'm just Kristen. Kristen who is, I don't know, a couple years away from having my electrical air conditioning HVAC degree. So, anyway, all that to say... The fact that air conditioning is a topic of conversation in my life in February brings me glee because, you know, 42 years in Minnesota, I did my time and now it's like, oh my gosh, it's so hot. What are we going to do? And I'm like, it's February and it's too hot. I love it. I love it. Remember, Minnesotans, the borders are open. You can leave. I know. 
You may have things like family and jobs and stuff, but all that stuff is figure outable. Get out, get out and live, live your life where it's warm and you don't have to think before you leave. People ask me a lot, what is the, what's your favorite thing about living in Miami? I'm like, the fact that I don't think about leaving my house, I just do it. I want to go to the store. I walk out the door. I don't think about what do I need to wear? Do I have hats, coats, boots? Should I drive? What's the parking? Is the, is the road going to be slippery? Um, are my fingers going to freeze? No, I just go. I live my life with no impediments because of weather. It is the most freeing thing in the entire world. Sure, we have a little bit of a rainy season, but even that, it's like, oh, do I need an umbrella or not? That's it. It's so It's so liberating. And there's a whole lot of things that I'll put up with in life that are not ideal um, before I would leave a lifestyle like this. It's just friggin' amazing. Um, I live on a lot less. My life is very, very inexpensive. It has to be because living at the beach is expensive. Um, but it doesn't matter. I, I It doesn't matter. It's just, just amazing. So get out. If you're miserable where you live, leave. It's the, the end. Just leave. You get one life. And I really hope that someday you don't end up on your deathbed and think, Man, I really wish I would have gotten the heck out of where I lived. I wish I would have been brave enough. Be brave enough. But if you're one of those people who enjoys winter, then Godspeed to you. I know that there are people like that. I'm not like that. Um, When I was in Minnesota, I just stayed inside for eight months and complained about the whole situation. So I had four months of my life that I didn't hate. Um, And so it was not worth it for me. But some of you have snowmobiles and you like to ski and skate and your kids are in hockey and all that garbage. So then you go for it and you're doing the right thing by raising your kids enjoying winter versus raising your kids to hate their lives, which is how I I wasn't raised that way, but I chose to. (laughs) Bad attitude. Such a bad attitude. There were many winters where I'd be like, you know what? This year, I'm going to love winter. I'm not going to complain. I'm going to embrace it. And then a month in, I was like, I hate this MF place. I hate it. I hate it. My life sucks. This is stupid. Why do we live here? Um, And yeah, so I usually would last a few weeks. Anyway, I digress. But talking about Minnesota, some fun stuff. I had company from Minnesota two weekends in a row. So my friend Melissa from Minnesota came down uh, to go on a cruise. And she asked me, hey, I've got a couple nights in Miami uh, before I go home, can you recommend a hotel that's near you in boot camp? I want to come to boot camp. And I said, yes, I can. It's called my house. 100% you can stay with me. Now, this is not an invitation for everyone who's listening to stay with me because I have 800 square feet and some of you are pains in the butt, uh, but Melissa is not. So she came down and stayed with me. Unfortunately, it was the weekend we had winter number two. We have three winters in Miami. They last a few days each. The first one was Christmas. I wasn't here. The second one was when Melissa was here escaping winter. It was 40-ish degrees. And you might say that's not winter. Well, when you're on the beach with the wind and the wet the wet wind, um, it's cold. And so we did boot camp two days in a row in hoodies and sweatshirts. And it was miserable miserable. And she was here for it. <laughs> but it was really fun to have her here. She's in, uh, She's been in my group coaching programs and I'm her trainer via my app. And it's really fun to be able to spend time with somebody who I've, you know, I'm excited. I've, I've had a direct impact on her life and on her health and wellness. She has taken the baton and has done so much work. I have a a core group of clients that are um, gold star clients, as in I train them, but they work hard 
They are consistent. They are disciplined. Therefore, they get the results. They reap the benefits. And um, people say, well, what's your secret? Well, they they follow the program. And Melissa is one of those who follows the program to the T. And uh, that's really exciting as a trainer to um, to have that kind of experience. Now, I'm a coach, and so I'm, I'm here for everyone. And so um, I have clients that really need a lot of coaching, and I don't resent that. I'm here for that. Um, and then eventually it kind of clicks, and then they're able to really run with it. Um, but Melissa found her stride and in this last year has really run with it. So it's been exciting and it was fun to have her here. So fun to have Minnesotans here. And then I revert into my Minnesota accent and it just comes out a lot more. It was a little frustrating though, because she is a, she has a company. She's a dog walker, dog sitter, dog groomer. She's a pet person. And because of that, Gus could tell. So she came in here, Gus had never met her, but Gus was like, hello, my new mommy, I love you. And Gus did not leave her side and they were best friends. So Roy, who usually is Gus's favorite, came in from work one night. Gus looked up from where he was sitting next to Melissa, kind of sort of wagged his tail like, hey, what up, chop liver? I'm over here with my new favorite person. (laughs) So Gus is a little traitor, but that's all right. The next weekend, also Minnesotans, and this was also fun. This was super cool because um, I talk about Shannon when I talk about my story and I tell my story of transformation and how it all started when Shannon gave me a compliment. She was my classmate at Northwestern College in Minnesota. And um, last summer when I was home, I got to connect with some of my friends from college. Now, our school was small, our accounting department smaller. And there was eight of us who graduated in 2005 with accounting degrees from this little liberal arts Bible college. And then we also had classes with um, other students that graduated um, a semester before us and the following year. And we've just stayed in touch and we've stayed close. We developed a friendship that 20 years later, we're still still in each other's lives. Not as much anymore because I'm down here, but it's like those people that you see them and it's like no time has passed. Anyway, so I saw them in the summer and Alicia said, hey, we should all go down and visit Kristen in Miami. And so she made it happen. She got all of it, the itineraries together and helped everyone get the get it all planned. And um, four of them came down and I was excited about it and I thought it was really nice. But when they got here, I was really, it really hit me what was going on. Two of these women had not left their kids before with their, with their husbands to go on a trip like they, they're, they're young moms. And so I was, their, their kids are calling them crying, missing them. And I'm sitting here going, you left all of them for me. It was so nice of you. I'm really sorry. Tell your kids. I'm so sorry to pull their, their mom away from them. It meant so much to me that they spent the money. I mean, it's not cheap to go on a trip for a long weekend, spent the money and then the time away from their husbands and their babies. And they came down here to spend the weekend with me. And so it was so fun because down here, everyone has known me a couple of years, but these women have known me for almost 20 years. They have bared witness to my life story. And having them here was an emotional feeling I can't put into words. Um, to be to be seen as a, as Kristen, the person from back then uh, and understood and to share memories. You know, memories are an interesting thing. 
it's like to sit across from someone and tell about a, a, a situation or an experience and have that person be able to say yes and then add details and you remember it the same way. You're reliving a moment in time that is gone and the only people that have that experience in their mind and heart are those people that were there and in these situations talking about our old accounting professor and some of the get-togethers we had and friends and like remembering certain things that were said and funny experiences and trips that we ended up taking together for weddings um, for each other. It's There's nothing like reminiscing with people who knew you when. People who share memories that are rare and small and insignificant in the grand scheme of the life of everyone else around you. But you sit across the table and it's as real as if you were there again. It's It was just, God, it was amazing. And I don't have that much because... You know, I was raised isolated. I didn't have many friends growing up. Uh, most of the people, our church that I was raised in was so small and people all left and disseminated and there's people there I'd never see again. Um, but whenever I have gotten to get together with people from that era, it's so precious because there's so few people that share my history. Um, I, you know, I graduated high school with one other person who I don't talk to anymore. Um, and then I went to college, a small college, and I have a very small circle of friends from that college because I wasn't really allowed to socialize until my last couple of years of college because of my husband. But these women knew my ex-husband. They were in my home. They were there when that marriage fell apart. They helped me move out. Um, I remember Amber helping me load my possessions out of my home and the fear that I was living under at that time and the the feeling of just, it was such a tragedy in my heart to move out of a home with my husband and my son into a little apartment with just my son and trying to start over and not having a pot to piss in and not having anything of my own. And and the fear, I just remember the fear of that period of time. And they didn't shirk from it. They were there. They bear witness to my story. And as I got on my feet and became a, a confident person and restarted my life over, they were at my second wedding. And then they were there when it fell apart. And now to have them down here on the beach where I'm now running beach boot camp, to have them in my workout class, I would look at them and just, it was so emotional. I'd be like, I remember the first time I felt connected to a group of people and it was these people. I felt like I belonged. When I was a kid, I'd look out the window and see the kids get off the school bus and wish that I was a part of something and that I had friends. And when I went to college and I got to bond with these other accounting students, these wonderful ladies, that was the first time I felt a part of something. And then here they were on my beautiful beach in my boot camp class. It's like, for one thing, I could never have imagined that. <laughs> sitting in accounting classes with them. I'm 400 pounds. We're in Minnesota. If someone said, hey, in 20 years, Kristen, you're going to be running a beach boot camp and all these girls are going to be doing karaoke and squats with you. I would have been like, you're hilarious. But that's exactly what happened. So it was amazing to just have them here. And um, it was fun to show them Miami. I'm super early to bed, not a partier. I don't do crazy things. You guys have heard me talk here on the podcast about me trying to get used to free in Miami and how weird it is when you're from the Midwest and you're me. And so, you know, obviously I wasn't going to show them like Miami because I don't even know Miami. Um, but was able to take them to a beautiful dinner at uh, 
Jaya at Satai, which I've been to before late at night. I did a podcast about it actually where I felt completely out of place in my Macy's dress and just less than an imposter syndrome. Well, going at six o'clock when no one else is there yet, it's still beautiful in there. They have an indoor garden with lights and palm trees. It's stunning. And the food is stunning. Stupid expensive, but reliably delicious. So um, it was Shannon's birthday. We got to have a beautiful birthday dinner, walk up and down South Beach so they could see the Art Deco with the lights, and um, and then embedded a decent hour, <laughs> like God intended. So it was wonderful to have them here and um, to be a tourist in my own city again. Uh, they have really fun things here to do. If you ever come to Miami, by Bayside Market, you can go down there and get on a boat for 30 bucks. You get a 90-minute boat ride. Um, really comfortable, beautiful sunshine or shade, air conditioned with a tour guide. And they show you uh, J-Lo's house and P. Diddy's house and Will Smith's house and the guy who came up with Viagra. He's got the biggest, most expensive house. And um, and then they shut up, play music and let you have a beautiful boat ride. So it's super fun. We got to do that. We went and had donuts at the Salty Donut and then, um, and then they went home. It was very sad. But very fun to have them here and have my worlds collide. Um, just, it proves. Life can change massively. Life can change in ways you could never imagine. And if you are willing to persist with what life hands you and determine not to be a victim, but to build every single time that you possibly can, your life can take beautiful, giant, awesome leaps and bounds into the unknown in ways that will delight you. I never, ever would have dreamed it. And the only thing I can say is that I have most of the time been willing to jump and to push and to climb and to grab what I want and to go for it. And because of it, my life is massively different. I'm worried about air conditioning in February. I work out on a beach um, and I don't, uh, I don't have any regrets. And uh, it's beautiful. So take risks. Don't be bitter. Make lemonade out of lemons. Stay in touch with the people that knew you when. That's the biggest thing. Stay in touch with the people who knew you when. I'm terrible at keeping in touch with people. And um, the fact that they've kept in touch with me, I was like, you know what? I've got to invest more in these relationships because I get busy and I get my feet, you know, you get my head, my eyes just on my feet where I am. And I forget to stay as connected as I should with the people that knew me when, the people that know me the people that have always cheered for me. Um, so that was a big lesson too. Like these women are jewels in the crown of my life. I want to be more intentional about keeping close. Thank God for Alicia. Uh, she's the one who said, hey, let's do it. Hey, here's the weekend. Hey, here's the flights. Hey, I'm going to rent the car. And then she put, created a beautiful spreadsheet for everybody to <laughs> reimburse her when it was over because we're all accountants. Alicia being the top accountant. Alicia set the curve in most of our classes. So while we've always loved Alicia, we also sort of loathed her a little bit. It's like, geez, that test was really hard. And then Alicia's like, I don't know, I got like a 92. We're like, really? Of course you did. Super maddening. Anyway, she's still setting the curve, which is, which is fine. Anyway, so that was, uh, that was that. And then this past weekend, I got to go to San Francisco and meet Roy's family. This was a big deal. So my episode, my last full episode was Meet Roy, which was uh, him talking about his experience running the marathon and training for the new marathon. And it was a way for you all to hear how we met and hear his voice a little bit. It's been my most popular episode in a really long time. Um, and 
I've been been getting a ton of feedback. I publish these episodes and there's just thousands of plays. I can see that it's been played thousands of times. And then I get like 10 people who say something. But with Roy's episode, a ton of feedback, which which means that it was a really great uh, response. And a lot of you said, we can see why you love Roy. And um, that makes me really happy because, um, you know, my, my goal in being partnered up with a partner is I want to always feel like I am lucky to be standing next to this person and that when other people meet my partner, they look at me and say, wow, you are lucky to be with this person. And I want them to say that to them too, obviously, but that's what I want. I want, I want to respect and have awe for my partner. And I, with Roy, I do, I have, I'm in awe of him and, um, he makes me want to be the best I can be so that I'm worthy of standing next to him. And so when I hear people say, wow, what a beautiful heart. You could really feel his heart. I cried. I laughed. It's like the greatest feeling for me as his girlfriend. It's amazing. So I got to go to San Francisco and meet his family and he has an identical twin. And I thought that was going to be interesting to just be, you know, see this, this mirror image of him. And while they don't look identical when you're looking at them straight, like it was not difficult at all for me to tell them apart. They're 49, but I'm telling you the mannerisms, the way they walk, their laugh, their expressions, they're like fidgety, like when they're both fidgeting or something like that, it's the same. And then the side profile, it was super crazy, weird to see two, two Roy's. Um, but what I was most happy, of course, was to note the personality very similar. His twin is just as sweet. Um, just, just so sweet and so kind. I, they're just so warm. It was really, really lovely to meet, uh, meet his twin and his twin, um, rich. So rich and Roy. Roy likes to tell the story how whenever they were called for dinner or something, they would, you would hear rich Roy, you know, come here. And so they thought for the longest time their name was Richie Roy because they were always said together. But anyway, Rich, uh, Rich's wife, Kathy, they've been together for 20 years. So she's less enamored with this twin thing because she's been hearing about it forever, especially like in a restaurant. People say, oh my gosh, are they brothers? Are they twins? They look so similar. So she's sick to death of it, which I can totally understand. But for me, it was novelty. But um, we got to stay with them and their two dogs and um, we brought Gus. And so it was just this happy weekend of dogs and family. Um, I met uh, his youngest brother and and his wife and got to meet um, Roy's mom, which made me very happy. Um, I know, okay, ladies, I'm going to just real talk right here. I know that when you have a mother-in-law, sometimes it's difficult. I'm not. I'm not going to pretend like there aren't terrible mother-in-law mothers-in-law. Uh, there are. I had one. My first husband's mother was a nightmare. She was a nightmare. She tried to ruin our marriage. She tried to ruin my life. She did the worst things ever. Okay, so I know that there are extreme situations, but in general, your mother-in-law, ladies, is the reason you have your husband. And while she might also be the reason why your husband has some bad habits, <laughs> she birthed your baby, her baby, and that baby is your husband. So without her, you wouldn't have this wonderful, amazing man that you love. So I don't care how terrible they are. There's a baseline respect there that should be had. And if they're not a horrible person trying to ruin your life, to honor your mother-in-law, the woman who gave you your husband, I feel like is a baseline thing that is women 
we need to do. I I could not wait to meet his mom because she she birthed this man. She took care of this man. She gave him life, period. I owe her a great debt because I love her son. It was wonderful to meet her. I didn't get to spend a lot of time with her, but um, to hear a little bit about what it was like to be 14 having a baby and then at 16 having a set of twins on top of it and then a couple of years later having another baby and then another baby. She had five babies by the time I think she was 21. Holy buckets, okay? It's a lot. She said she always had three kids in diapers. <laughs> I'm like, oh my gosh. But anyway, it was wonderful to meet her and... Um, and just see the world that Roy has left. And it really hit me hard, really hard, to see what he's given up to move here and to have a life here. And um, it was really sobering for me because um, I needed to see that. I needed to experience his world and see the love that he has there. He has so much love there and such wonderful family. And, and, and now it's really far away. So it was wonderful to go. I think they approved of me. Um, we ate a lot of donuts did a lot of sightseeing, um, met, just met them all. It was wonderful. Um, San Francisco 49ers played their championship game the last Sunday that, that Roy was there, the Sunday I was there, and they played the Eagles. And he happens to have a nephew who's an Eagles fan. I can't remember why. He's born and raised in San Francisco, turned into an Eagles fan. I don't really feel like that's allowed, but whatever. Trader. So it was interesting to see those two teams playing each other, and then, of course, the Eagles won, and so Roy, Roy was pretty sad. Luckily, we had Gus there as his emotional support animal. But um, football, you know, the Minnesota Vikings, they suck. But they, they do well enough to get your hopes up, and then they just lay an egg. And so it was cool. Like, wow, what would it be like to have a team that was good consistently? So if I marry Roy, I'm officially able to be a 49ers fan, and I can switch loyalties or at least add on to my loyalty with the 49ers. So anyway, that's an update in the personal life. Some of you listen to this podcast because you care about my personal life more than you care about any of the other things I talk about. So there you have it. All the updates on all the travels. So next up, I'm going to Minnesota this coming week to spend some time with Amanda. I might do a podcast with her while I'm there because um, also my most popular episodes involve Amanda. So um, might do a podcast with Amanda while I'm in Minnesota. Going to see my uncle David for his birthday. And then I think I'm done traveling, um, for a little bit until Italy in March, which will be super fun. So there you have it. You've been caught up on the personal life. You can submit questions <laughs> and comments online or on Instagram. I always love hearing back from you. And even if you're just listening, please tell me who you are. Say, hi, I am, I am, Agnes from Michigan, and I'm listening to your podcast. I just want to know. I want to meet you, Agnes. I'd love to know. I'd love to know why you listen, how you found me, why you keep coming back, and maybe what you'd also like to hear. I would love that if all of you, especially you, Agnes in Michigan, who would tell me who you are and all of those things. Do you need a personal trainer, but you don't want to like pay to have someone standing and counting reps with you? Well, I am an online personal trainer, which means I have an app. I write you workouts, you download the app, you follow the workouts. It shows you what the movement looks like with the video, you log your weights and your reps, and you're done. So you can go into a gym, not feel like an idiot, 
know exactly what machine to go to and how to use it and get a strength training workout without having to pay me to stand there right next to you. My app also has nutrition programming. So I get some information from you. I tell you, here's how many calories you should be eating based on your information. I also tell you what macros you should be following. If you want to be following a macro-based diet, which everybody really should be, all that's in the app period. Also, do you have habits? Do you want to stop snacking? Do you want to stop eating at eight o'clock at night? Do you want to get more water in? It also has habit tracking. I can set up custom habits for you so that you can have little happy boxes to check off every day. I love checking off boxes. So my app is amazing. It's called the Kristen Experience. You can use it when you work with me. I'm starting a new program that's as low as $99 a month. So instead of the $249 a month, which is everything that I do, including mindset training, which is worth it, if you're like, oh, that's a big investment, I can't hack it right now, $99 a month gets you a training program and a nutrition program and gets you the app so you can start changing your fitness and your health with me wherever you are. Send me a message, Kristen, at Kristen Smith online.com or message me on Instagram. I would love to give you a free week to try the app. See how you like it. Do a couple of my workouts and see what you think. There's no obligation to you to give it a try. So reach out to me. Let's get started. Let's get you in the best shape of your life. And with the Kristen experience, what are you waiting for? You have no risk. Let's do this. In talking about having my college friends here and how they knew me when, it really kind of caused me to zoom out and look at my, the trajectory of my life over the past 20 years. And if you've been listening to the podcast all along or you've known me my whole life, you kind of know the story, but um, I've told it as it's happened. Um, I started this podcast when I lived in St. Louis Park, Minnesota in 2019. I was still working full-time as an accountant, as a controller at the law firm in Bloomington, Minnesota. Um, I started there in 2013. And um, I had just left my second marriage and um, I got certified to be a personal trainer and I decided to start kind of telling my story and just starting to work on being a coach. I had just gotten certified to be a never binge again coach training under Dr. Glenn Livingston, who wrote the book Never Binge Again, which changed my relationship with food and my habits and my body kind of for the final time after massive weight loss. Um, and my life was very different than it is now. And that seems to be the trend of my, of my life. And so looking back on the trajectory of all of it to kind of say, how did I do all of this? I did not ever set out to live in Florida to be essentially unemployed and running my own business. In fact, that idea horrified and terrified me. It still really does. If I think about it too long, I get terrified and I just want to run back to corporate because it, the whole thing is daunting and I can't even believe that I'm making it or doing it. So I'm living a life that I never thought of, never intended. I did not have a vision board with any of this on it. I have just followed the path of my life and sometimes with um, making lots of big blunders and sometimes just fortuitously getting it right because I happen to have the right mindset for the time and um, I happen to notice great opportunity. That's really all it is. People say, what's the, the key to success? Well, I've read lots of books about success and um, building wealth and executing all kinds of things that I, skills that I don't have. Um, and the formulas for all those things are ones that I've never followed. I've never followed a formula and um, I'm sure if I did, I'd be further down the road right now. But um, I just kind of want to talk about what what I believe got me here. 
And it's not a formula that you can read in a book necessarily. Maybe, I guess if I were to write my own book of the formula to change your life, it, it, maybe this would be the, the starting point for it. But basically the, the thing that I can attach most of this to is a belief that I can, the belief that I, I will always figure out a way. Everything is a figure outable. And when I think of something big I have to do, typically I shirk from it. I'm like, nope, absolutely not. I can't do that. I, poss- I can't possibly do that. I think that's common. We think I have this big thing to do. I can't possibly do it. Um, and I tend to ruminate. I still do ruminate in that space for a while. Like I can't, there's no way I can't do it. But then there's this thing in my brain that I think most people have. I'm not unique. Um, where I start to figure out, well, if I could, how would I? What what would be the process? What would I have to do? What would it take? What are the steps? And start to visualize and imagine completing it. For instance, when I needed to leave my first husband, it took me a really long time because there were so many obstacles. And it took me a long time to visualize how I could possibly get around even the first one. And after I figured out in my head how I might get through the first one, I realized, well, that doesn't matter because there's this next obstacle. You know, if I leave him, I'm going to have to get a full-time job. Okay, well, I'm pretty sure I could get a full-time job. I could even temp, like I've been temping as an accountant. So I get a full-time job. Well, actually, that doesn't work because what about the summers? When my son is out of school, I'm going to have to get daycare. I have no idea how to do that. I'm not going to make enough money to pay for daycare, so... That's not going to work. I won't be able to support myself. So I got stuck there for a little while. My ex-husband was telling me I was worthless. I could never make it without him, that he would ruin me financially. He would turn my son against me. So I had all of those things as well. So it was easy just to say, well, if I get a full-time job, I'm going to be screwed. I won't be able to take care of my son in the summer. That means I won't be able to afford a decent place to live. So my husband's right. I cannot live alone. I can't handle life without him. So I would come up against those obstacles and be forced to just resign myself to, well, he's right. I have to stay. I have to make this work. So I would put aside all of my dreams of getting out and go to marriage counseling and figure out, okay, I'm going to have to just figure this out. I'm going to have to engage in this. I have to make this work because I can't make it work any other way. And then we'd go to marriage counseling and he would be awful and it would be terrible and it would be horrible and traumatizing. And I would come home and think, oh my God, I can't do this. We're talking about like going to marriage counseling. We had a marriage counselor, Dr. Rush. He was such a lovely human being, really, really loved him as a person, but he believed every marriage was savable, which, you know, I, I'm not going to argue that point here. Um, but we went in to marriage counseling with the intention of fixing our marriage, of staying together. Um, he did not want to get divorced. I did not want to get divorced. We had a 11 year old son at the time. He needed his parents to stay together. And so when we signed up for marriage counseling, it was with the intention to fix the marriage. And I went in with the intention of, I, I do hard things. I've been living in this situation for a long time. We can make this work. There's a win-win here. And our marriage counselor actually really um, pushed that from the beginning. I'm not going to work with you unless we all agree that the point of this counseling is to save a marriage. 
And so what would happen is we'd go to counseling, we would get kind of a game plan, we'd go home, invariably um, something would happen that would mean that I had to leave for my safety um, and I would go stay with my sister. Um, but it was always with a for a period of time. It was, I'm going to leave for one week so that things can cool, cool down. You're going to go see Dr. Rush. I'm going to go see Dr. Rush. We're going to go together. We're going to figure this new situation out and then we are going to come back together and try again. That was the process. So when I would leave and I would go stay with my sister, I'd start thinking like, I don't know if this is going to work. I don't know if I can go back. I'm so scared. I was terrified. I was traumatized. It was horrible. Um, the things that happened were were nightmares. They're, they're the stuff of my nightmares. They still are the things of my nightmares. If I think about it, it is a nightmare. Um, I've always said I'm not going to talk with details about it. I try not to think about it. I try not to give that period of time or those actions any kind of space in my brain. I want to heal from it. And I don't want to use any part of my brain to relive those moments. But all I have to do is say, they're the things of my nightmares. And so I'd be laying in bed at my sister's house and I'd be thinking, okay, if, if I can't go back, let's see, I have a job. I have. I think I was temping at the time. I have a job, Steven's in school. How much do I make? How much can I save? Maybe I could stay here with my sister. No, I do not want to stay with my sister. Not because I didn't love my sister, but because she at the time was married and had two dogs and I did not like the dogs. And I did not like the fact that the dogs broke the broke through the door into my room and like they were everywhere there was dog hair on my toothbrush she lived in a town I didn't like I didn't want to live there um so I would lay in bed and plot okay how can I do this I wonder how much it costs for rent where would I go what town would I live in and I would start to think of ways through the obstacle of basically how will I support myself how much child support do I think that I'm going to get? How much is school tuition? My son was in private Christian school at the time. So there was that bill. I had no um, no belief that my ex-husband was going to pay anything. Um, I also really believed that if I leave this man, I'm not going to have him pay me alimony and I'm not going to get everything I can. I just want to, if I'm going to leave, I'm going to leave. I don't want to be connected any more than I have to. So I really wanted to figure out a way to make a living by myself. But I would hit an obstacle in my mind and I would set it down and say, all right, well, I guess I got to go back. I guess we got to make this work. So I would go back. We would figure out whatever that situation was that came up in therapy and off we'd go again. This cycle continued for, I think we were in uh, for about a year. Um, some of the things that happened were we would go to marriage counseling. Um, we would tell the events of the week. I would say, this is what happened. And then Dr. Rush would ask, Donnie, okay, in your words, what happened? And um, and then he would try to bring us into a point of understanding where we both were in agreement. And it got to the point where it was impossible. Even Dr. Rush, I feel like, wanted to wanted to rip his hair out. It was like it was like Dr. Rush would take a piece of paper and he would write the word black, and he'd hold it up to Donnie and say, "This is the word black." And Donnie would say, no, that says white. And he'd be like, oh, okay. Um, well, here, let's try something else. Dr. Rush would pull up a piece of black paper and say, this paper is black. And Donnie would say, nope, that's red. Okay. Uh, this, uh, this jar of paint, when I pour it on this white paper, is going to turn the paper black. See? Nope. That's purple. That was what it was like. And 
we just all started to feel like we were going to lose our mind. Things like, um, your wife is um, an adult and she wants to go to dinner with her girlfriends on a Friday night from 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. That is something that a woman should be allowed to do. You're going to know where she is. You're going to know who she's with. You're going to know exactly the place that she's going to and the kind of behavior that she's going to engage in because she is your wife and you know her. So it is reasonable to expect that your wife should be able to go to dinner with her girlfriends at that time. That's reasonable in a relationship. And you would say, nope, she's married. She has a family. She needs to be home with her family. The fact that she wants to go out and do that just means that she's rebellious. And, you know, I don't, I don't need to leave and go and do stuff with a bunch of people. I want to be home with my family. And the fact that she doesn't want to means that she doesn't love her family. So those were the types of things. And he'd be like, no. <laughs> anyway, so this would happen. And then um, he, my, Donnie would get upset. And we, would, we usually arrived in separate cars from our separate workplaces. And um, things like we would be driving home, he'd be behind me on a two-lane road, and he would run me off the road into the ditch because he'd be so angry that the therapist didn't take his side. And the therapist spent an hour trying to convince him that it was indeed okay for his wife to sometimes go places without him. Um, it was insane. And what, what happened during that period of time is you sit there and you hear this conversation happening for uh, an hour. Dr. Rush trying to convince Donnie of this one true fact and hearing Donnie say, nope, absolutely. I do not see it that way. You just start to feel like you're going to lose your mind. So he'd run me off the road on the way home from therapy. Um, I would immediately be like, okay, well, it is not safe to be in this house with you. You almost killed me on the way home. I'm going to go stay at my sister's until you calm down. And we would start this cycle again. And I would start thinking again. All right. I don't care where I live. I want to be safe. Now I don't need to make much money. All right. If I only need $500 a month for rent, how much money can I earn? Can I get a second job? Yes, I can. Okay. I got a second job. I can find a place for 500. I'll rent a room in a place. Awesome. All right. Summers. Hmm. Who can I ask to babysit my son? Where can I send him to daycare? What kind of lawyer can I afford to make sure that I get child support? So you see, like as the situation increased in its severity, my ideas got more and more palatable. The future outside of that home, even though it was living in a tiny apartment that I wasn't used to, even if it meant working more hours, even if it meant things that were uh, two weeks ago unpalatable and an obstacle, now I'll accept that. Now I will do that. I have found a way. Then I would start to put energy into that asking around, hey, where does your son go in the summertime? Hey, I wonder if any of the teachers who are unemployed in the summertime do daycare. I wonder if Mrs. Allen would like to babysit Steven since she's his teacher in the summer. So he'll be at her home. All of these ideas started to come to me and I started to follow those paths until eventually when the day came, when it was, you got to get out or you may die. I had figured out a path through every obstacle that I was going to have to go through. And while it was hell, while it was so hard, I had over that period of time found a way through every obstacle ahead of me so that I didn't enjoy the process. I knew it was going to be awful, 
but I had seen the path ahead. I had visualized my way through each obstacle and I had become willing to endure the work or the pain or the cost of every step between where I was and where I knew I had to go. I did not want to leave my first husband. I had never lived alone. I went from living with my parents to living with him. And we had gone from having nothing to having a pretty cushy life. We had a lot of really nice things. We had nice cars. We had a brand new house. All these things, this lifestyle, even though I was miserable, the lifestyle was also very, very comfortable in many ways. And knowing that I had to go backwards to renting a little apartment and living on cash, not having any money, that also was an obstacle. Now, that might sound petty considering what I was going through, but sometimes we're also comfortable in our own hell that we say, well, <laughs> I'm willing that I'm willing to pay the price of admission for these nice things. It's usually not until the price is more than we're willing to pay that we will say, all right, I will go and I will have a less than ideal cushy situation in order to be out of the mental or emotional hell. And if you know somebody who, especially when it comes to a relationship, they need to get out because they are being hurt emotionally and they won't do it, there's often a reason why. Because the price of admission is still, you're able to pay it. They're able to pay it. And when it tips and they're no longer willing to pay or able to pay the price of admission, then, then they're ready. Sometimes it takes a little while and you have to love them through it and wait and say, I'm here. If you're not ready, it's okay. But at some point, the price of admission is going to be one that you're willing to pay and able to pay. And that's how I got through that. And that process, while I didn't know it, I didn't document it, I didn't follow a, a strategy, that process has been repeated in my life over and over and over again. I moved out of that marriage. I got into my own place. I started working. Things went way better than I imagined. That is the thing that I remember and I remind myself of over and over even right now. When we imagine a way through and we imagine something better, usually the end result is better than what we could have ever imagined. We spend our time and our lizard brain helps us come up with the worst possible scenario to try to keep us in our comfort zone. So we think, okay, if I get a job, I'm not going to make much money and then I'm going to be busy. I'm going to be exhausted and this, 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 this. Because our lizard brain wants us just to stay where we are. It's less risky to deal with what we know than what we don't know. The unknown is worse than the known every time. Our lizard brain does not want us to live in the unknown. Now, everything we want is in the unknown. Everything you want is in the unknown. You already have what you have. If, if it was enough for you, you wouldn't even dream. But what you want is in the unknown. Remember that. And the lizard brain says, it's comfortable here. We at least know what our bed looks like. We at least know the, the characters. But if we leave this, we have no idea. It could be so terrible. Well, sometimes the idea of it being so terrible is better than what you're living in. And that's when you're ready to move. But of course, everything started to work out better than I imagined. I got better jobs. I got promotions faster. My son had lots of places to go in the summer. He had great friends. Now, it was still hard. It was the hardest thing I have ever done. And I've done a lot of hard things since then. Nothing will top the difficulty of being in an apartment by myself, living alone for the first time as a divorced single mom, something I never imagined would be my identity. That was so hard. But every single day I got up and I did the thing and it became okay. I became happy. 
As soon as I started to go to sleep with peace, no one was torturing me. No one was hurting me over time. It became a beautiful, amazing chapter of rediscovery of my life. And then eventually I met my second husband and everything that I ever wanted, everything I ever wanted. I was a stepmom. He had a lovely little home in Minneapolis with this lovely routine of uh, making dinner for my family again with a husband that didn't hurt me, with a husband that didn't hurt his kids, it with a family setting. And it was wonderful. And I went all in and I was like my happily ever after. I deserve this. I had this idea that because I suffered in my first marriage, I deserve an easy path the rest of the way. I really thought that. And so I married him and it was wonderful and it was a dream come true. And it was a nightmare very, very soon. Addiction, alcoholism. I've talked about it in a podcast here. I'm not going to go into the details here, but all of a sudden I find myself married. Everybody's happy for me. No one has any idea of what I'm dealing with at home, what alcoholism and active addiction looks like. I had to keep up this facade that, yes, I got my dream come true. I thought I had to keep that facade up. I only confided in a couple of people and it was a nightmare. But I was like, how do I leave? I just got married. I changed my name. I have stepkids. I just promised these kids that I was going to be their stepmom. I just promised this man I was going to be his husband. All these people came for my wedding. I spent all this money on a wedding. I'm all in. I live here now. I I don't have a place to go again. What? I can't leave. All of a sudden, there's all these obstacles around me again. And with every single relapse and every time that I had to decide, am I staying or am I going? Am I able to deal with this? Am I able to stay for one more stint in rehab? Am I able to be a strong wife? Am I able to do this? When it felt to be too much, I would start to think, all right, if I have to go, how do I do it? All right, well, I have a good job. I can probably get a decent place nearby. In fact, I can afford a pretty nice place. How do I tell my family? How do I tell the kids? How do I get out of this? How, how do I rebuild again? And this time, I could see my way through those obstacles a little faster because I was willing, I know. I know that I can suffer. I know that I can live in crap if I need to. I know that I can take 10 steps back and then eventually get back to where I am now. I knew that I could. I had already done really, really hard things. This was different because it was heartbreaking. By the time I left my first husband, I wasn't heartbroken because of the love, because of the loss of the relationship. I was heartbroken because I didn't understand how to begin a new life with a new identity. And it was so painful to accept defeat for something I fought so hard for. This situation was heartbreaking because he was the love of my life. He was my happily ever after. I never would have gotten married again if I thought for a second we didn't have an amazing opportunity at everything I wanted, everything that I that I believed was possible. It was the white picket fence. It was this beautiful experience. And I wanted it. And so it was so heartbreaking to say, wow, the universe didn't owe me an easy way. This is all life on life's terms. Greg isn't drinking to hurt me. He's not an alcoholic. This isn't happening to me. This is happening. This is reality. This is a monster that's bigger than anybody. This is alcoholism. This isn't the first time this has happened. This sucks. But this isn't happening to me. This is happening. Now, how am I going to move forward? And eventually, 
when it became the time that broke this, the straw that broke the camel's back, when I realized it wasn't just my life that was on the line, it was children's lives. It was his life. If I stayed, people were going to die. I needed to get out. You can't put a pillow at rock bottom, even if you love that person more than you ever imagined you could love somebody. I couldn't fix it. I couldn't survive. So I had imagined the path forward and I hoped to God I didn't have to take it. But because I had sat and worked my way through mentally every obstacle, I was willing to pack up my house that I had just unpacked. I unpacked there thinking this is my forever home. I filled the cupboard with all of my spices. And I remember being on the phone with Amanda saying, Amanda, I, I just unpacked into this house. I just moved in here. I haven't even been here two years. I can't pack the spice cupboard again. I just unpacked it. <laughs> and she said the one last thing I needed, she overcame that last obstacle. She said, you don't have to pack your spice, spice cupboard. You can buy new spices. You can leave them all right there and just get salt and pepper. And it was the one thing that made the final step doable in my brain. Okay, I don't have to pack. I can just go. I can just go buy new spices and have an empty spice cupboard. I can do that. And I was able to walk out of my happy home that now held a whole selection of painful, horrible moments and memories that I don't spend much time there in my brain anymore either because I can't. I have to heal. I have to move on. And I did. I moved into a fifth floor corner apartment in St. Louis Park, Minnesota. It got, I had windows on three walls and the other wall was the stairwell. So I had no noisy neighbors. I was on the top corner. I got so much sunshine. It was my treehouse apartment. I overlooked Excelsior Boulevard and I was across the street from a yoga and F45. There was a Starbucks downstairs. There was a Chipotle two blocks away, a Target less than a mile away, a little pond, a park. I had my dog. I was heartbroken and devastated, but I had my happy little sunny spot. It was ridiculous. I was house poor, but I had a space to heal and I had this wonderful, beautiful place that I had visualized I could get there and I got there and I was able to heal and I was able to grow and I was able to decide I want to live. And I started to think, what do I want next? Well, I want to help people. I want to help people lose weight. That's where I got certified to be a trainer. That's where I got certified to be a binge uh, recovery coach. And I started just slowly, I started this podcast. I started to branch out and start to imagine a way to do more things. That skill of visualizing what I want and every obstacle that came in front of me, finding a way to push through. It became a habit. It became a skill. And that's what I credit with everything that I have now. I eventually... We had the pandemic. I met Randy. I started dating Randy. I ended up moving in with Randy, making some money during the pandemic, subleasing my subleasing my treehouse apartment. Got to really dig into discipline and routine and habit. Became really, really um, good at compartmentalizing work life and disciplined habits. Changing my mindset, learning, growing, because I had seen a vision for. The next step. I didn't think I'd ever leave accounting, but I knew there was something bigger that I wanted to do. And eventually, 
pandemic shuts everything down became the greatest gift of my life. Able to start doing workouts in the park. Another example, life shut down. There's no group fitness. I live for group fitness. Well, I wonder if I started some workouts in the park, if anybody would come. Well, I can't do that. Well, why not? Well, I don't have any gear. I don't have any stuff. I don't know how to do it. Well, what if you just like wrote down some of your favorite exercise moves and downloaded an interval timer and just start doing workouts yourself? Okay. So I started doing interval workouts for myself, writing workouts that I wanted to do, putting together challenges for myself in the garage. And pretty soon I'm like, oh, I'm actually really good at this. I've been doing group fitness forever. I'm a certified personal trainer. Um, This is actually something I'm really good at. And I have no problem talking to people. Hmm, I wonder if I could do workouts outside now. Sure enough, people said they wanted to. Well, I don't have any stuff. Well, I have a wireless speaker. We don't need a whole lot of stuff. Let's just try it. So I tried it and eventually got pretty good at it. And then I was like, I wonder if I can go to Florida for a few months. I wonder if my work would let me be gone for a few months since we're working remotely anyway. I wonder how much it costs to live in Florida. Huh. There are apartments that are about the price that I was spending in St. Louis Park. Hmm. I wonder. So again, I wonder if I can. Oh, well, it's expensive to live in Florida. All right. How much is it? Hmm. How much do I make? Hmm. All of those questions, everything looking like a roadblock, one at a time, imagining, well, I don't need a lot of space. I don't need as much space as Minnesota. I'm willing to live in smaller. I'm willing to pay the price of admission to live on the beach for a few months. I started visualizing it. I started to imagine running on the beach path and then at the end of my run being all hot and sweaty and walking into a koya and pushing my finger on the fingerprint reader and hearing it beep and let me in, and then feeling the cold air conditioning hit my sweaty skin, and then pushing the elevator button. I started to visualize how awesome it would be to live in the Akoya, which is the amazing condo building that I now am sitting in. I started to visualize it and imagine every obstacle and how I could overcome it. Well, maybe I could go down there and I could just get somebody to show me some apartments. I started to budget. Oh, they're going to need they're going to need me to prepay 6 months. Do I have 6 months of rent? I do. Huh, that's going to be a tough hit. Well, it's okay. I'll live for 6 months. I'll be able to save money. I'll have prepaid my rent. I figured it out. Everything is figure outable. And I got down here. And I started to think, okay, How do I work out here? I wonder if anybody wants to work out here like they were in Minnesota. Huh, I don't know. Well, I'll post it on Facebook. Maybe I can find out if there's stuff around here to do that. Sure enough, people started coming to my workouts in the park. People said, you should do it on the beach. Well, I hate getting sand on myself, but maybe I could just keep my shoes on and not really do much of the workout and we'll do it on the sand. So I started to tolerate the idea of doing it on the sand. You get where I'm going here. By imagining the obstacle and then imagining how I could possibly get through the obstacle and then imagining if I can tolerate the cost of getting through the obstacle, can I pay the price? Is the price of admission to get through this obstacle something I have, something I'm willing to pay? I'm sitting here recording this. I just looked outside and I see Miami Beach Boot Camp being run on the beach. Coach Sarah is leading a class. I'm not there. I'm here doing something else. My business is operating while I'm sitting here recording a podcast. How did that happen? The willingness to imagine the obstacle, imagine a way through it, and deciding if I'm willing, if I'm able to pay the price to get through that obstacle. Being able to 
have other coaches. That was tough for me. I want to run that boot camp seven days a week, but I can't. I get very tired. So I'm going to have to have other coaches. Oh, I can't imagine. Nope, nobody can do it like I can. Well, I'm really tired. All right, well, maybe somebody can do it like I can. I wonder who it could be. My first coach was Jim. Jim was a guy who came to boot camp. He used to be in the military. He used to be my good friend. Okay, Jim, do you think you could run a Tabata workout? It's really easy. It's the easiest format ever. I could imagine, all right, you can't screw it up too much. People like Jim, just come up with some movements. Maybe maybe we could just try this. He said, okay, maybe I will. So everybody, Jim is going to coach. So he showed up and he coached. And everybody came and everybody loved it. And it was amazing. And I got to experience what it was like to have my boot camp being run while I went and did other things so I could maximize my time so I could make money without being there. All of a sudden, but what it cost me was my ego, being able to, to accept that people actually liked him better than me. They didn't. But to imagine that that would be okay. And then more coaches. that, And all of a sudden, it was okay. And it was actually really good when my boot campers liked the other coaches better than me. Why? Because they came when I wasn't there. They brought their friends when I wasn't there. That built my business stronger. Being willing to pay that price of setting down my ego, which I didn't even know I had in that capacity, to let other people lead and guide and direct the people that I love so much who trust me with the boot camp. To be able to trust them to do a better job than I can do. Sarah's out there right now. She's like one of the most sought after trainers on Miami Beach. She's amazing. She's a much better trainer than me. And I'm now confident and comfortable enough to say, yeah, she's better than me. She's more skilled. She has got more versatility. She's got this beautiful, amazing heart, soul, and personality. I can't offer what she can offer. It is such a gift that she is out there offering those beautiful people something that I cannot offer. But it had to be visualized that I could imagine sitting back and letting someone else be better than me. That was tough. It took me a long time to get there. Now we're growing boot camp. We're adding classes. We're adding a kids program. I have to go to the next level and imagine what if I'm not there more? What if I have other locations that have nothing to do with me? Am I okay with any of this? Some of that I'm not okay with yet. I haven't visualized a path through those obstacles that I'm comfortable with or that there's a price I'm willing to pay. But I am confident now, after everything I just told you, that my resume of my life for the last, I don't know, 10, 15 years has been one of getting through obstacles with the power of my mind, visualizing and imagining, here's the price it might cost. Am I willing to pay? No. All right. Here's another solution. Am I willing to pay that price? Maybe. Let's do some more exploration. And then of course, the piece that we don't all like to talk about, the work. It takes work. It takes sticking in there when it feels yucky. It, feel, it feels exhausting. It is exhausting. But to visualize that obstacle completely obliterated, knowing that you're going to get to the other side, you can put your head down and grind. You can sit down and do the work. You have that one outcome so clear in your mind and that you're willing to do whatever it takes to get there and you just do it. But it takes the work. It took so much work to sit in my bed and not run back to what I knew when I was uncomfortable living by myself for the first time. I would call my sister and say, I'll just go back home. I can't do this. Donnie will change. And she'd say, no, Kristen, you know that you have to stay in your own place. You cannot go back. You cannot go back. You will die. 
Physically, maybe not. Emotionally, mentally, spiritually, your soul will die. You have to stick in this. You have to. That was the hardest work. And then the physical work of working, working long days, being a single mom, taking him to school, taking him him to his sports, working at night. It's not easy. It's never going to be just turnkey. You're always going to have to work for what you want. But when you see your path through the obstacle and you know that you are willing to pay the price to get there, nothing can stop you. If you decide nothing's going to stop you, if you see what you want, if you see your way through the obstacles, you 100% will get there if you're willing to do the work, if you're willing to stay in it. I was willing to leave my spices behind. <laughs> Amanda and I joke about that a lot because it was such a, a silly thing in, the, like in hindsight, the topic of a spice cupboard. But in that moment, it was a massive obstacle. It represented something really big. I had unpacked those spices and I had unpacked all of my fear and worry for the future. I live here. This is where I'll stay. I'm safe. I have a home. I'm loved. I have a family. I'm not a single mom living by myself. I am a wife and I'm a stepmom and this is my identity. And I finally get my happily ever after. I didn't know that's what I was unpacking into that spice cupboard. And so picking those spices up and putting them in a box would have been too much for my heart. And so instead of saying, I must stay here because I can't pack the spice cupboard, was no, I will go and I will just leave the spice cupboard. I can buy new spices, period. That was my path forward. It can be as simple as that, being willing to just walk away and just cut your losses. I mean, I'm sure there was a lot of really great seasoning blends in that cupboard. I don't remember. But it's true. I bought new spices lots of times. They sell spices everywhere. And guess what? You can find new hopes, dreams, a new future around every single corner. That home in Minneapolis was wonderful. And I had so much love and fun and amazing memories there. But imagining my way through all of the obstacles to get out. Now I live on the beach. I'm watching my boot camp being run outside of my window on the ocean. It is 75 degrees in February. I have three lines of business. I don't work in an office. I still do spreadsheets. I don't have an accounting job anymore. I run my own business. It's scary and terrifying and busy and I'm tired. But it's so much better than I was ever able to imagine. And if I'd gotten stuck on the spice cupboard, <laughs> if I'd gotten stuck on any of the obstacles that have come up since then till now, I wouldn't be sitting here on the other side of all those obstacles with this beautiful life. Now I have a lot of obstacles ahead of me to get to the next level of where I want to go. But I built a resume of crashing through obstacles and finding a way above, through, around, under everything that's come up against me. And so I have 100% confidence in myself that I will clear every single obstacle between me and what I want next. That's how it's done. I can't give you a formula in 10 steps, but I can tell you all of that to prove to you that if there is something that you want and there is an obstacle in the way, given enough time, enough mental visualization, and the willingness to pay the price of admission, you can get through, under, around, 
above any obstacle, any obstacle that's in front of you. I'm proof of that. And I, I'm pretty sure if you look in the resume of your life at all the things that you've done, you're going to find that you can prove to yourself through your own resume that you too can do that. You've done it. We've all done it in some form, maybe small, maybe not in the category of divorce and getting out of abusive relationships, leaving alcoholic husband, leaving the state you were raised in, leaving the career that you spent years building. Maybe it's not those things. It doesn't have to be. Find every single piece of evidence that you can do hard things, that you can push through obstacles, that you can obliterate the obstacles in front of you. And you'll find that you have a resume of wins too, that you've paid the price of admission to get past the obstacles in your life. So if there are obstacles ahead of you, guess what? 100%. You can find a way through, above, around them as well. It's so exciting to really think the sky is the limit. There are no limits. The obstacle does not exist. It's like in Mean Girls. Remember the scene where Katie was trying to remember the answer to the math problem at the mathletes meet? And um, she was having a hard time in her brain seeing around Aaron Samuel's head. Oh, he was so cute. And then she was like, the limit does not exist. The limit does not exist. It was a math problem where the limit did not exist. I think about that a lot. The obstacle doesn't exist. The limit doesn't exist. If you can get that into your brain, live by that mantra. Really, truly, there are no limits. So that was a little bit more long and rambling than I intended when I sat down here, but there is a little bit, the story of how I got from there to here. I don't know if I'm going to have to edit this or not. I can't think. There's nothing I've said here that I wouldn't say in public on a stage, I guess. My ex-husbands all know that I have a podcast. They know that I talk about this. Um, And I will just add the final disclaimer. I'm on very good terms with both of my (laughs) ex-husbands. My first one, a long time coming. We are very respectful and civil and kind. And I choose to believe that since I am no longer the person I was in 2009 and 10 and 11 and before when we were together, I choose to believe he is not that person. And that the things he did then, he would never dream of doing now. And whether that's true or not, I don't care. I choose to believe it because guess what? It gives me a whole lot of mental peace. And it lets love flow toward the father of my child. And that's more important to me than keeping score, remembering things perfectly uh, to hold him accountable till he dies. I don't want to hold him accountable till he dies. I want him to live. I want him to love. I gain nothing if he is miserable. I gain everything if love is flowing between the father of my child and me, even if it's a baseline respect, civility, level of love. That serves me beautifully. So that's what I choose. And it's a choice. (laughs) When I tell the stories of all that stuff, I mean, I can get mad, angry, unforgiving, bitter, and hurt all over again. And I can undo all of the years of work that I have done to forgive and move on. So I choose not to. It's also why I don't give a lot of detail. I don't want to go back there. I want love to flow. I want him to have a beautiful, amazing, powerfully loved, lovable, blessed life for the rest of his life. We all deserve redemption, and so does he. And my second husband, uh, we are on very friendly terms. He is sober. He is flourishing. I wish him just so much joy. Um, we have a f- we have a very humorous uh, rapport. Um, I have so much 
gratitude that he is sober and loving life. He's a good dad. Um, he, my dad went to lunch with him a few weeks ago. My dad is wonderful. And um, he spent the whole time telling Greg how wonderful Roy, my current boyfriend, is. <laughs> and Greg got a big kick out of it. He said, I'm so happy you're happy. So it's all good. That's why I can talk about it freely. Um, so anyway, there you have it. If you have questions, comments, or feedback about this very long episode, I'd love to hear from you. You can always reach out to me. The end. Thanks for tuning in to the podcast. I'm so excited you're here. If you want to interact with me, go ahead and send me an email, Kristen at kristensmithonline.com. Follow me on Instagram, The Kristen Experience, and make sure you share this podcast with a friend. That's all I have for you today. Have an awesome week. We'll see you next time here on Destination Begin.